Welcome to University Showcase. I'm Megan Kamrick. What is the sound of a river in crisis? That's what a group of artists explore in an installation opening online at the University of New Mexico Art Museum. There Must Be Other Names for the River guides viewers along the Rio Grande where they hear vocalists singing a score based on river flow data. The idea is to bring more awareness of climate change and water access issues. The exhibit opens online Monday, March 22nd, World Water Day. Joining me today are the creators of There Must Be Other Names for the River. Dylan McLaughlin is a sound and video artist, storyteller, and educator currently living and working in Albuquerque. McLaughlin is born of the Diné people. He received the BFA in New Media Art from the Institute of American Indian Arts and is currently completing his Master of Fine Arts in Art and Ecology at the University of New Mexico. Jessica Zeglin is an artist, gardener, and educator currently based in the Middle Rio Grande Valley. Her works in sound, drawing, textiles, and installation are grounded in theories of emergence, where complex patterns emerge from simple building blocks. She holds a Master of Fine Arts in Art and Ecology from UNM and a Master of Public Health from the University of Minnesota and is the recipient of the Playa and Tallgrass Artist Residencies, as well as a Sevieta Long-Term Ecological Research Program Fellowship. And my KUNM colleague, Marisa DeMarco, she is also a musician, performance and installation artist, composer, and journalist based in Albuquerque. She's the founder of Gatas y Vatas Festival for Boundary Pushing Performance and Milt de la Máquina, a performance art crew. She's a leader with Death Convention Singers, the largest noise collective in the Southwest. She also teaches sound art at UNM. She's an MFA candidate at the University of New Mexico's Experimental Art Technology Program. So how did this project begin? Why, why are you focusing on the Rio Grande? So we were in a class together it was part of Nina Elder's Deep Time Lab. And we were invited to think about deep time. Among the things that we considered was that the river that we know today as the Rio Grande is millions of years old. And so this piece examines the last 50 years of river flow data, but also asks the singers to embody uh, the river into the future thousands of years. Um, and that's part of just acknowledging it as a, a life source, the reason that there is ecosystems and uh, cities and towns in in this part of the country. Right. So also in that conversation, this uh, title emerged, there must be other names for the river in our kind of very simply thinking the river in its current form as we know it right now is one million years old. It must have had so many names by so many beings, people, ecosystems that have been in relationship to it. And as we've invited our singers for this piece that really bring it to life and activate it to then imagine the river, the life of the river thousands of years into the future, also imagining the river will continue to have different names. Our relationships to it will, will also continue to grow. And that was a, another big core element to the name, but also to how we hold space for how we approach this, this particular work. And I have a really fond memory of us coming up with that name. We were all in my studio at UNM trying to think of a name for the piece and literally like looking up historical names for the river. And then Jessica said, there must be other names for the river. <laughs> and, and we were like, that's it. And, and I think it, as it settled in with us, the name. Do you want to add anything, Jessica? 
Yeah, well, I think for me, it, uh, this started because we were all kind of interested in working with sound and interpreting the world and space through sound and also kind of engaging with threatened ecologies, of which the river um, is certainly one. This piece was also inspired by the reporting, um, environmental reporting of Laura Pascas, who has been working over the past few years to really kind of let people know about the threats to the river and what's happening with the river's management and aridity and climate change and all that. So this was a great opportunity to kind of think about how can we consider those threats and those issues through an artistic lens and a poetic lens. Can you give us a sense of what people will see when this goes live on March 22nd? We'll see and hear, I should say, because that, and it's so important to say this coincides with World Water Day. Yeah, so the piece started as a live performance piece. So you have six singers. Each singer is representing a different point along the river. So from the headwaters to the mouth of the river, a singer is representing a point where the data was collected. And so when we perform it live, we have the singers stand in the room in the shape of the river. And then the audience is kind of around them on all sides. And so the idea, the thought was that you can kind of hear the river change. It's almost like you could hear in some way, maybe like the water coming through the river or changing um, from year to year in terms of flow. Then we got asked to do it as a physical installation in the UNM Art Museum. And then of course, coronavirus happened. So we pivoted to doing an online installation. And Dylan's been working really hard on conceiving of how it will be presented in its online format. We've all been giving it a lot of thought, but Dylan worked with a programmer so that when you get to the online exhibition, you can kind of travel down the river using your computer and the audio is coming to life as you do that. And we're hoping that it will feel like a performance space for people who are engaging in this website. So the piece unfolds over about 20 minutes of time. You also have the ability to kind of explore the shape and length of the river, as well as some kind of occurrences in past, present and future time that impact our, our lives and our relationship with the river. So that's all there in this digital performance space. Was it hard for you guys to pivot to do that? You know, it was a really interesting moment. I think that's that's an oversimplification for, you know, what last year was. It was a really yeah. very, very heavy, complicated moment in time. There was a moment where we realized, you know, we, we had spent some months designing uh, for a physical installation for a physical sort of experiential immersive space as a as a sound installation and all of our considerations were how are people experiencing this uh, information and this story spatially and sonically and you know with their body and with their own sort of choices about how they can move through the space and how they can kind of um, create their own sonic experience just kind of by moving through space. And so these were some of our considerations. Yeah, in that moment where we realized, okay, we shouldn't be designing for a physical installation. It's just, you know, every art institution is closing right now, schools are closing. But this conversation about the river here 
doesn't become less important. In fact, it, you know, it's crucial right now. It's, you know, this year, in the next few years, anticipating, you know, changes that are that the river is going through, and that our society and relationship to the river is going through. And so we thought, well, this is important work, and we should continue to find ways to to reach people through it. We'll design a web-based sound installation and. I don't think any of us really knew exactly what that meant. We've lunged forward with, with you know, <laughs> all, all of the care and considerations that we had already been building about our sensibilities to how can people relate to this? How can people create their own experience based off of what we're providing for them? So it was really kind of like, how can we just be in conversation and dialogue with people? And the other thing was that we were, had been planning to visit those six points along the river and asking choirs to sing that data point next to the river. So that was going to be part of our physical installation is we were going to Big Bend. We were going to go to the mouth of the river. We were going to go to the headwaters up in the San Juan Mountains. And we were going to connect with those communities and the people who live next to the river and have them sing that point in the score. So that was kind of the first thing that we had to let go of is that we wouldn't be traveling. But as physical isolation kind of wore on, I also began to think about how the river is connecting us to our neighbors, to neighboring ecologies, right, and to other people, even as we're all in isolation. So the plan is now to mail recorders to these different people who live along the river, have them sing the score and mail them back, and then to fold that into the audio as this piece continues to exist. So the exhibition itself, over the next year, will start to pick up more and more voices. This is University Showcase on KUNM. I'm Megan Kamrick, and I'm talking with artists Marisa DeMarco, Dylan McLaughlin, and Jessica Zeglin about their exhibit, There Must Be Other Names for the River. It opens online at the UNM Art Museum on Monday, March 22nd. Find out more at KUNM.org. And then we also have a page that asks people to contribute, and Jessica can talk a little bit more about that page, but really anyone can fold in their relationship or experience or stories about the river. Uh, So hopefully the piece is responsive as it becomes a form of connection in a time of social, physical isolation, right? We can't do the physical exhibit, but we can still use audio as a means of connecting with one another along this river line. Oh, that's cool. What? Tell me about that, Jessica. How can people contribute and participate? So on the Tributaries webpage, which we invite uh, people to come join us, you can follow the full score that the performers followed, which interprets water flow data within the river over time. Or you can f- kind of follow a short score, which asks you to stop by the river if you can, or think of a memory of the river if you can and respond to that experience or that memory, tell us a story, sing us a song. And also on that page, you can come back and listen to the contributions of everybody else. So as as you're contributing, as you become a tributary to this kind of vocal sonic river and digital space, you can come back and keep listening to how it grows and changes over time. I love the name tributaries for that because I think the, a big part of this piece has been that people are paying tribute to the river. 
uh, the singers feel it that way. The singers feel it as an honoring of the river when they're in, they're embodying the flow data. And I often think about you know how our bodies are also made of water. And we took the singers, the original group of singers from a couple of years ago, down to the river and had them perform at acapella next to the river. And the weirdest thing happened in that we all went down there with setting up the video cameras or setting up the recorders. And uh, there were some people on the beach just like sunning themselves and hanging out with their dog. And Jessica went over to talk to them to just explain what we were about to do. And they were people who collect river data. How weird is that? It was the strangest wow. coincidence, That's right? That's so random, yes. Mm -hmm. Great. And then they hung out and watched their data that they've been collecting sung to them on the riverbank. that process where you took river data and how did you translate that into sound? A lot of the compositional work is kind of thought of as improvisational containers that can encounter and also enfold in the experience of the individual performer, right? So we made scores that are not the way that you might think of a traditional score, which is notes on a staff but rather that reflect the cumulative yearly data uh, for each year, as well as the monthly data as a line. And then we provide instructions for the singers about how to interpret that, right? So varying degrees of intensity, modifications when climate change is really having a big impact, modifications when the drinking water project comes online and, and really alters the river. So asking them to embody also these points of um, human intervention that have forever changed the river. It's basically we provide a set of guidelines and instructions for the score that's in front of them and then leave it up to the improvisers to use that um, to respond. And in that, there's kind of a couple of different ways that, or there's a couple of different layers of things that are happening. One is that we are, you know, it's taking straight up historic streamflow data from different sources that we've been able to find online, mostly open source. This is all open source data. And we've just kind of made graphic versions of this data, just visualized data that we then give to singers with score instructions that are quite loose and open, mm. like Marisa was talking about, sort of just kind of providing a framework or a container for improvisation. Uh, and so it's really the singers and their own relationships and their own dynamics and lineages and all of this that kind of, I mean, they're all professional singers and, and improvisers as well. And so they bring all these dynamics to the piece that is just kind of literally translating graphic data into song. And then there's also a score instruction for them to visit the river the day before the piece is performed because we wanted people to go and reflect about their relationship with that water. Right. And then there's one more kind of element that, you know, when, so we, so we moved through 
about 50 years worth of historic streamflow data, and it catches us up to our most uh, the most recent data that we had been able to access at the time that we delivered scores to the singers. Uh, and then the piece kind of shifts into the next year that you would see is next year. And from there, the years start increasing exponentially and until you arrive to the year, I think it's 4,200. And it's, it's so interesting to see what can happen from, you know, first of all, we're sort of setting the stage for these singers to have embodied historic data and to sort of understand sort of the, the, the rise and fall of river to really be contemplating a lot of the complexity about changes to, to the river. And then we invite, okay, now imagine into the future 100 years, 200 years, 1,000 years, 2,000 years. Mm. And once we move into that territory about, you know, of, you know, imagining the river in the year 4,000, it's a very real year, you know, it's a, it's, <laughs> this will happen. But we live in a society that I think is, it, it doesn't give a lot of space to imagine ecosystems this far. You know, what, what will the Rio Grande look like in a thousand years, two thousand years from now? For, for us, I think it was kind of like, I, we had never been asked this before. And so what if we ask our singers to use this also as part of the improvisational instructions for this piece? And what emerges from that Again, it's it's improvised, so it's you don't really you can't expect or anticipate really what's going to come out of that. But to say the least, it's very very powerful. And I think too that when we consider the age of the river, we really see the effects of climate change um, hitting the ecosystems down there in from 1980 until now. That's the blink of an eye for the river. Like that is nothing. And so when you're thinking out a couple thousand years, that's also nothing in the river's lifeline. Um, how have people become disconnected from the river? And how do you hope that this might help them re-engage through this work? For me, I hope that this piece, both kind of visualizing the river lines itself and making those connections between people who are living in different parts of the river and who have different stories relating to the river, can help us kind of come to a more holistic understanding of it. We have been increasingly diverting the water, managing the water. It's used very intensively for agriculture, for hydroelectricity, and all sorts of industrial uses. And so we literally don't see the water as much, but I'm hoping that this piece can be a way of an opportunity for people to see the river and feel the river in a, in a more holistic way than they usually get to. Mm-hmm. Um, and just an opportunity to reflect on our relationships that we don't get time or space to reflect on our relationships with our ecologies isn't quite valued in, in our cultures the way I think it could be. So again, I hope this can be a space for that. If you just tuned in, I'm Megan Kamrick, and this is University Showcase. I'm talking with artists Marisa DeMarco, Dylan McLaughlin, and Jessica Zeglin about their exhibit, There Must Be Other Names for the River. It opens online at the UNM Art Museum on Monday, March 22nd. Find out more at KUNM.org. People have been going to the river so much more. And so I think in some ways the pandemic, for some people, has re-engaged them with this stretch of river. So I did grow up in Albuquerque and I grew up playing on and in the river all the time and in the ditches. And so that's why 
like when I saw it dry, it was so shocking to me because it is something that I've kind of engaged with my whole life, right? And we're going to potentially see the river. They're predicting it could dry up from north of Albuquerque through Albuquerque this year. And I think that after all these folks have been spending so much time next to it, I hope that they will recognize the severity of that, you know, and what that feels like. But I will add that I never thought of the whole river because I am so located here, right? So I never thought of like, how does the river start until we got into this project? Or, you know, um, what does it look like at the mouth of the river? It looks so different at the mouth of the river than it does what we see around us here. Yeah, it's really interesting because as we're looking at the scores even and looking at the data on water flow um, along the length of the river, you can see in in the places where singing, singers are singing from the headwaters or from Albuquerque, there's a big kind of peak of water in the river that happens with the snow melt in spring and then another peak with the monsoons, which is what we might expect from rainfall and snowmelt patterns. But once it gets to Elephant Butte, it starts looking weird. It's not predictable. The water is moving around in ways that don't seem intuitive. And by the time it gets to the mouth of the river, we're kind of using data from the Brownsville and Matamoros area. The line looks very flat. Sometimes the river there doesn't even go to the sea, Mm -hmm. right? So it's kind of this tidal flat. A lot of the water has been kind of used up before it gets there. So hopefully seeing seeing the score itself and also hearing that interpreted through these incredible performers can also give an idea of really how the flows are changing um, across geography as well as through time. You say in your artist statement, this is a song, this is a fight. How are those these two ideas entwined here? We don't even hear politicians often talk about the river, for instance, right? That is true. And it is so essential to the populations out here and to life in this region. So I, I'm hoping that the piece does more than just interpret this state of affairs where people have changed so much the trajectory and the lifeline of this river, but actually begins to engage the questions that we need to be asking public officials, industry, regulators, and that kind of brings us to World Water Day and the fundamental human right for the access to clean water. It's about the recognition that water resources are dwindling. Water's become, in many cases, more valuable than gold. Industries and politicians are fighting for who has authority over water. The next big fight for humans on this planet is about water, for sure. Um, it, it already is about water, right? What we're hoping to speak to is looking at that problem locally and to think about okay, everybody, you just spent months and months at the river during physical isolation, during this quarantine time, potentially. Now you see it all dried up. We should not just be sitting back like, oh, I guess that's what's happening and it's out of my hands, right? Climate change is a bigger problem to solve, but in the meantime, there are smaller problems to solve, right? And that is recognizing the value of water to all people and um, 
making sure that they have access to it all over the state. So we can't be giving up control of these resources. We can't be selling off control of these resources. And we need to know more about how those decisions are being made. Um, yeah, we really take we take the river for granted and water for granted, even though we see it dry up because you can just turn your tap on and get water. But especially during the pandemic and the way it hit the Navajo Nation, where you can't necessarily just turn on a tap and get water, it feels like this is a conversation we should be having even more because of the pandemic, but we often don't. <laughs> Yeah, and I think Jessica brought up in conversation that we're often told as individuals, as consumers, that it's on us to be careful with these resources, which is great. Like, we should be careful with water as individuals, but really that is not what's at issue here, right? Like, we can only be so careful. There are other forces that are at play that are, are changing the water's flow trajectory who gets it who owns it who can use it right yeah i think i would just add to that that this you know this is also one of many many large conversations that i think we need to be having in the realm of you know threatened ecosystems threatened habitats habitat loss um you know species extinction there are a lot of issues certainly in the state of new mexico that we can be looking at in conversations around, you know, what happens when we lose keystone species. You know, a, another threatened species right now is the is the pinon pine tree. The, the, the very iconic New Mexico is known for this tree in so many different ways. We all know the smell of it. You know, we all have stories of it, and yet it's very very threatened species right now, experiencing very large amounts of die off throughout the state. So too is the state of the Rio Grande. It, it is a threatened set of ecosystems, a very complex set of ecosystems with tributaries, with other you know, rivers and lakes and many different species of fish, uh, some, lots of whom are already extinct and you know, are, are, we will no longer be able to have relationships to. There are programs to kind of reintroduce some of these extinct species. There are many programs to protect, protect endangered ecosystems all along the Rio Grande this conversation that we're having here is in some ways hopefully a starting point if not a continuation point for some really really large conversations and i don't say that in a way to kind of maybe over make people overwhelmed or feel like oh gosh you know the state of the world is scary <laughs> because it is and it can feel that way but we you know i think we would hope that with a piece like this it can really give us some you know real essence of of lifeline of like okay this river at the end of the day is just straight up important to me it's so meaningful you know I, i'll listen to this sound piece that these singers have really brought to life and i'll and i'll, I'll cry and i'll think like all of our relationships are important everything that is under threat is important and i think that kind of brings it back into that's where the fight is. It's us really standing up for something that is so incredibly crucial in so many complicated ways to so many very diverse communities along the Rio Grande. When we have performed it and we've spoken with the audience afterwards, like people found the piece powerful. They experienced a lot of emotions as they look at the years that they were born or the years that their children were born because the audience can see the years moving by as they're hearing the audio they think about 
their relationship with the river and those important moments in their lives and and they have a real visceral emotive response something about the way the music resonates over the course of its unfolding i think bears down in an emotional and visceral way that is different than if i was to just simply tell it to you in words and that was kind of the idea of the piece Thanks to artists Marisa DeMarco, Dylan McLaughlin, and Jessica Zaglin for joining me on University Showcase. The exhibit, There Must Be Other Names for the River, opens online Monday, March 22nd, and the artists will give a talk on Friday, March 26th at 4 p.m. Find out more at KUNM.org. I'm Megan Kamrick. Thanks for listening to University Showcase. <laughs>